Hello and welcome to the Raptors show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Wim Lu. Today on the show, I'm very happy to speak with Donatus Orbonus, senior staff writer for Basket News and host of the Orbonus podcast. Uh, Donatus is joining us from Lithuania before he sets off to uh, cover a game tonight. So Donatus, man, I really appreciate you making the time. Thanks a lot for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you face to face. I followed uh, Toronto media a lot when Valentinos was playing there. So it's great now, you know, to meet those those uh, heroes in, of media in, in person. Yeah, I was going to say likewise, because, um, you know, I, I remember when I first started, like, uh, covering the Raptors, it was just around the time um, Giannis was uh, entering the league with the Raptors. I think it was his second season. Um, I think he went to play overseas in Eurobasket, um, as he does all the time. He's, he's very committed to the national program. And, um, yeah, I remember that's when I stumbled upon your work. Um, your reporting and I just remember yeah like you know this this guy's really plugged in and been sort of following your career ever since and you know you, you are really really a, a great source for um, people who are interested in covering or following along the European game um, I understand there's lots of leagues and it's a little bit more complex to follow than just the NBA so I appreciate uh, how much yeah. time and effort you must have to put into it but uh Seriously, I, I think last year during um, Eurobasket once again, uh, I wasn't so much following Lithuania this time, but um, just sort of the whole tournament. And I thought you guys did a great job covering it, both uh, yourself and also your fellow podcast hosts. Uh, you guys have a really good podcast. Yeah, thanks thanks a lot. Because uh, speaking of the Eurobasket, it, it was our first big tournament when uh, basketnews.com project had started. So it was uh, our first uh, big event for us and of course it, it really helped uh, our project uh, to grow significantly for the second season that we are about to wrap up uh, soon and we're gearing up for the world cup it's going to be another amazing international competition i saw you guys uh, not you guys i saw the team usa uh, um, shared some some potential names it's a pretty uh, good team that usa is going to bring to the to the tournament <laughs> It's pretty nice team, but uh, I, I mean, it might be intriguing World Cup competition again. Yeah, I, I hope so. I really hope so. I mean, I, I mean, for me, being based in Canada, like there, there are a lot of um, Canadian talents um, that are currently in the league. Like you look at Jamal Murray, for example, in the finals, or Shea Gilgis Alexander made the uh, first team All NBA. Um, I think the, the issue for Canada though is is we just never have any bigs, and I feel like for these kind of international tournaments, you definitely need good bigs. Uh, I remember there was like a Olympic qualifier that was hosted in um, Victoria uh, like two years ago and Canada lost because they couldn't contain Czech Republic center who I think had like 19 rebounds. And it was like, well, you know, you can have all these talented players on the wing, but you, you need a big, um, but anyway, look, listen. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Now it's just interesting to hear a different approach because now in Europe we're all obsessed about perimeter players huh. and we're complaining okay. that we're lack of perimeter stars at least in Lithuania for instance and we say in Lithuania right. that oh we we can you know trade Jonas Flanchunas for any perimeter star <laughs> just to have somebody you know to score in the decisive moment so yeah. this you know cultural change of basketball cultures is always interesting when I meet guys from other regions and, and World Cups or even Eurobaskets. Yeah, that, that is funny because you guys obviously have a long history of um, producing great bigs, right? And sometimes I feel like that's almost a problem because you guys have to play both Jonas and uh, and Domas together. Um, so, yeah. but I mean, at the same time, you know, we can't complain. Um, you, got, you guys do have some really, really great, talented bigs. But listen, um, I want to make the most of our time. And what the, the main reason I brought you on is because 
Um, you know, the Raptors have shown interest in former Raptors assistant Sergio Scariolo, who has been coaching in Italy after uh, three years being an assistant in Toronto. Um, and yeah, I wanted to touch base with you because, you know, you had actually conducted an interview with Sergio Scariolo um, for Basket News. If you haven't checked that out, it's a, it's a great interview. It, it kind of details a lot about sort of his philosophy in terms of, you know, coaching the Spanish national team and also uh, making the jump from the NBA back over to Europe. Um, and yeah, so I, I kind of just wanted to start there in terms of maybe you can familiarize the, the audience in terms of like who Sergio is, sort of his career and um, what his reputation is in Europe. Uh, I think that Sergio Scariolo always had this reputation of being one of the best uh, coaches in our continent. But I think that his recent success with the Spanish national team finally opened a lot of people's eyes. Because before, when Scariolo was dominating FIBA competitions with the Spanish national team, everyone in Europe just took it for granted. Like, okay, you have Pau Gasol, you have this amazing generation of Spanish players. So it's kind of, you know, it's, if, if you fail to win gold medal, it's already a failure. So he, let's say he did his job, he did his duty. But when he won the FIBA World Cup in 2019 with that roster, missing a lot of important players, and especially for what he did in the Eurobasket, I think it, it, it you know, opened a lot of eyes to see how great Sergio Scariolo is. And, uh, not, and what's interesting, it's interesting to see and to hear that Toronto are really seriously considering his uh, option for the head coach position because uh, he brought a lot of uh, ideas and I would say brought this American approach to European basketball even in the national team uh, competitions for for you guys maybe it's 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 for for us in Europe it was you know shocking to see that oh Scariolo is running the offense but when the play the team is playing defense there's the assistant coach who is screaming and shouting on the on the sidelines and you know uh, doing calls for defense so he kind of switched these roles which is kind of common thing in the USA starting from NFL probably uh, to the NBA um, the way they uh, shared their workload and, and assignments. But in Europe, it was something different. And I think it, it's one of these qualities that Sergio Scariolo has, you know, combining uh, great knowledge of basketball and combining both uh, overseas cultures uh, of basketball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's, that's really intriguing because I think, um, I don't know if it's a stereotype, but I, I do know that watching the European game, it's very clear to me that tactics play a much bigger role than in the NBA where, it's a lot more transition, a lot more free flowing. The court is a little bit bigger. You know, the the game is more open, um, and so maybe tactics isn't as much of a um, factor. Um, so I, I think the the assumption with any sort of European coach is that you know they're going to bring over these fresh ideas, and it's going to be something that you know we have never seen before in the NBA. Um, how would you describe like Sergio's um, tactics? Like, wh what kind of stands out to you when when you cover what, the Spanish national team or even? come across uh, Bologna, where he's currently coaching? Yeah. To be honest, I would call him, you know, uh, tactical genius because uh, the way Spain won the Eurobasket was basically through X's and O's. I mean, of course, they had this great personal with uh, veteran leadership from Rudy Fernandez, uh, for instance. Uh, but the way they won a lot of, knockout games, uh, the playoff uh, games, was basically through Scariolo's uh, mm, tactics. Uh, for instance, you know, he, he was one of the most original coaches in terms of 
tactical uh, approach because in FIBA competitions, it's really hard to prepare something uh, from tactical standpoint because it's a two-week competition. There's no time uh, for preparation. You also, you know, get your uh, national team players for a training camp, but it's like a process of three or four weeks. So it's really hard to be very uh, original. Okay, you can be original, but the execution is a different thing. So the way he managed to prepare his team tactically, the way he managed to surprise so many great teams, so many, I would say, more talented teams in Spain in the Eurobasket competition was a game changer. He changed a lot of games when they were already down by like 10 points and double digits. And his tactical tweaks, tactical changes changed the whole momentum of the game. And of course, uh, at the end of the games, uh, players like ex-Toronto player like Lorenzo Brown, uh, was was just cooking and killing in the decisive moments. Then veteran leadership, as I mentioned, from Rudy Fernandez, uh, Hernan Gomez brothers. Of course, their talent helped to pull these games out, but it all started from Scariolo's tactical changes. And he always surprised opponents with the zone defense, with box and one defense, a lot of interesting tactical decisions that they were, I would say, shocking to a lot of national teams. They were Some of these teams were kind of prepared for that, but still he managed to surprise them in, in some different ways. So we, uh, European journalists who, who you know managed to witness it, we were so in awe of what Scariola delivered uh, on a you know daily basis, uh, basically in this short and very particular competition. Well, yeah, that that's that's great to hear, and that makes a lot of sense in terms of why the Raptors are are interested. I, I think one thing that struck me with that Spanish team too, the way um, uh, Scariola managed the last tournament was um, he would play a pretty deep rotation, right? Um, I think on, a, on an average game, I think even in the final against France, I think maybe like ten, maybe eleven players would get into the game. And nobody would really play, I mean, the game is 40 minutes, but like nobody would really play like, I don't know, 35 minutes or 30 minutes even. Most players would play in the in the high 20s middle to the low 20s, but he kept a long rotation in. Um, is, is that sort of a unique approach in, in, in Europe or um, is that sort of something that Sergio in particular brought to that team? It's... it's... For sure, Sergio's thing, because he does the same with Virtus Bologna. He has right. a huge rotation. Uh, and in the Eurobasket, usually in those competitions, coaches tend to rely on seven, eight guys. Right, okay. And you you, you made a good point. Uh, he managed to, you know, uh, take the best out of, you know, the last man on the roster. There were some guys who were about to leave the team at the end of the training camp, but for some different reasons, they made the final uh, roster mm -hmm. and they played crucial role. For instance, guy uh, called uh, Alberto Diaz. He was amazing. I mean, mm -hmm. he, he's not even a star at the third best European club competition uh, for his team in, in Malaga, but in some games, his, <laughs> his hustle minutes, his defensive assignments that he got from uh, Sergio Scariolo, they just changed the game. So Scariolo can, you know, take the best out of every player, whether whether you're a star or just a guy who barely made the final 12. And, and yeah, a huge rotation is, is his thing for sure. And when you asked about his tactical uh, uniqueness, what, what makes him unique is that, for instance, Spain national team was known as the offensive-minded team for many years. And it's obvious. When you have Juan Carlos Navarro, Jose Manuel Calderon, both Gazol brothers, Rudy Fernandez. I mean, in Europe especially, it was like Team USA, uh, to be honest. But then, when these uh, guys uh, stepped down, when they retired, and he didn't get a talented roster as it was uh, before, he managed to 
to win those games, to grind those games through defense. So it just shows that he is all-around coach. It's not just like offensive-oriented uh, coach. He can win in a lot of different ways. And he just, you know, he fits uh, to the personal that he has uh, under his management. Yeah, and, and I think especially too in the tournament format is is interesting because it's it's like it's it's almost even more intense than playoffs, right? Because most times it's sort of single elimination outside of the group stages, and yeah, I mean Spain has consistently made it to the final four. I think ever since like two thousand, <laughs> they're always in the final four. I think he's, uh, Sergio also has four gold medals as well um, across uh, different competitions. So, like yeah, so, some facts are just incredible. For instance. Uh-huh. Uh, under coach Scariolo, Spain won gold medals in eleven in six of eleven FIBA competitions. <laughs> they went yeah. for medals on eight of ten uh, occasions, and it's even more than France, Slovenia, and I think Greece got combined. It just it's just shocking. I mean, and that's why I actually wrote the article last year, uh, even when Spain didn't win the gold yet. I just said that. If they will go for another medal with this roster in this situation, Scariolo has to be considered probably the GOAT of the FIBA competitions. Because for what he did with the Spanish national team, it just, as I said, we took it for granted. But now we can clearly see that it's it's something from another level. And this kind of consistency, I mean, you saw Serbia, they had Nikola Jokic. Greece had Yanis Antetokounmpo for a couple of uh, FIBA competitions. They didn't win a single medal. It's not it's not an easy task to win these short uh, term uh, competitions with FIBA rules where you can put Yanis walls and it's it's even way more effective than in the NBA. It's really tough uh, basketball that is played here. So it just it's just amazing. With the club competition in, in the European basketball leagues, it's a bit different. You know, it's a different game. I would say ten month season, uh, two leagues, uh, a lot of traveling. Uh, uh, a lot of players to handle for 10 months is different than just for two weeks. So, And that's where Sergio was not as successful as, as in the national team competition. Uh, but but when we consider those European coaches who could be a nice fit in the NBA, we don't have many names, but the players are in the locker room, uh, knowing his tactical uh, approach that he's not, he's not, uh, he doesn't put too much information for players. He makes some 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 great tweaks, some simple stuff to change the outcome. I mean, Scariola is one of the best fits uh, coming of Europe for the NBA. Yeah, no, that's 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 definitely great to hear. And I think um, I wanted to ask a little bit about um, sort of the history of European coaches coming over um, to the NBA. And I think this is something Sergio talked about as well. You know, he, he said I think in an interview with you actually, um, NBA teams, executives, players, or whatever you want to call them. They, they need a lot of time to feel confident to give that kind of responsibility to a, a European head coach, right? And, um, you know, I think we've seen very rare instances of it happening. Um, you know, I, I know a couple of years ago, the Suns hired Igor Kokoshkov. I thought that was maybe clearing the way for them to draft Luka, but they ultimately went with Aiden, which was a, not a good decision, but... <laughs> we, we were surprised, too. We were surprised, too. <laughs> yeah, why would you hire his head coach uh, uh, and then, you know, not draft Luka? But... In any case, um, what do you think are some of the challenges that like a European head coach would face coming over to the NBA? Because I feel like American coaches go to Europe and and they struggle too. Obviously, there's a cultural barrier, but at the same time, like um, it seems that has happened more often than the vice versa, where um, European head coaches have come to the NBA and convinced 
front offices to give them the the top job. Yeah, you made some good points uh, about the lack of trust, or I would call it lack of confidence in their moves and their decision to hire a coach with the European uh, background. Even Kokoshkov's case, maybe it's it's different because he he had a bigger American basketball you know school background, working as assistant coach for so many years. Uh, I would say that David Blatt's case was very interesting, and I think the problem was with David Blatt that he was already welcomed as a different coach, as something you know from from another uh, another planet, and all of his differences were always on the spotlight, and usually in the most cases as basically as a part of some bad things that were happening. And the same thing actually uh, happens in Europe. Whenever we have American coach, we say, oh, this is that American basketball school that doesn't fit here in Europe. And that's what uh, European players doesn't like. That's not going to work. And we're always, there's this level of skepticism, which is, I think, uh, combined together with the lack of patience. Uh, As soon as the, this coach from a different planet starts failing, starts losing. We just don't have uh, the same amount of uh, patience in, in his project and, and, and his ideas. You mentioned Suns, for instance. I think that back in the day, maybe I might be wrong, but I think back in the day, uh, Suns had a different front office. So it, it all starts also from the front office, how much they're buying into this different uh, approach that your coach is delivering. Uh, David Blatt, his case was very different because he had to deal with LeBron James. And when I think about Toronto, for me, I feel it's a good spot for coaches like Nick Nurse and his uh, amazing background of European British basketball. When I think about Sergio Scariolo, I kind of trust Masai Ujiri because he had this huge international basketball background. I think that he's he's the one who will uh, buy into the different project, who will uh, give enough confidence uh, for the head coach like Sergio Scariolo, for instance. So I think that Toronto is one of the best places and might be the, the best place uh, for, for Europeans to be successful. For instance, in, in Europe, there is this stereotype that whenever we send European players to San Antonio Spurs, we're good. We're calm that they're going to be successful. And I, th- I think that there's the same feeling, which is based on the trust we have for these organizations, because we kind of feel that they're more like international and they understand our basketball, our values. So I, I think that Toronto is the next uh, San Antonio Spurs uh, in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that stems from the idea of Toronto being the only team outside of um, the United States that operates in the NBA. And I think that also speaks to the, the character of Toronto, just like it's... The city is like 50% immigrants. Um, and so it's always been a very welcoming place internationally. Um, I know when you walk into the Raptors facility, it's pretty different from other NBA facilities where, you know, they, they like to put up all the flags of the different um, nationalities and backgrounds of the players. Um, so they, they really do make a point of emphasizing sort of the international outreach. Um, and of course, I think, especially speaking on the Spanish national team, like there's just, there's just a lot of players that have come through Toronto who have played for, you know, like obviously most recently, uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez who made those seven threes uh, in, in the finale. That was awesome to see from him. Um, I think the Raptors actually had signed him shortly before that. Um, and then, yeah, Jose Calderon obviously is, is very good. Garbajosa. Garbajosa. Well, yeah. Garbajosa was great until he, he got injured. He had a horrible leg injury, but he was a really, really vital uh, role player for Toronto. Back in the day, and of course, like guys like Bargnani, 
uh, Bellinelli, who I, I found out was actually playing on Sergio's team right now in Bologna. Um, so yeah, lo- just long history of this, you know, in the Starovich past like that. But um, I, I mean, I, I guess one natural concern, not even concern, what it's just something that you would probably have to get over, right? It's just sort of um, the cultural barrier and also even the language barrier with with a European head coach, especially one that's not coming out of, let's say, Britain, where obviously English is the is the main language. I mean, obviously Sergio speaks English. Like you know, I've heard your interviews, I've heard multiple interviews with, with Sergio, but. Do you feel like that could also be a potential hurdle? Like, I, I, I wonder how, like, American coaches, for example, go overseas and coach, like, in the Italian league or Spanish league. Do they get translators? Do they need that? And if, is that sort of more culturally accepted in Europe where everybody is sort of from everywhere and there's more of a mix versus in America where everyone just, like, only speaks English and they kind of look at you weird if you don't speak English? Yeah, it depends. It usually depends on the level that is played here in Europe. If, okay. But usually if American coaches send to the EuroLeague, EuroCup, uh, or even BCL team, usually there's no such thing as a language barrier for the local players. And if these foreign, foreign coaches go into the NBA, most of our coaches, or at least those coaches who are under NBA consideration, NBA head coach job consideration, they have some decent English uh, speaking skills. And I'm kind of I'm super confident about Sergio Scariolo, although this language barrier is a really a thing because we had this success of Turkish head coach, um, of Anadolu FS Istanbul head coach Ergen Ataman, who was kind of, you know, at least uh, had some idea that he could work in the NBA as the assistant coach. And his language, his English language is really, I would say, complicated. Uh, even for us non-native speakers, uh, sometimes it's challenging to understand what he wants to say, what he wants to communicate. And he admitted himself that it's probably the biggest uh, challenge for him to to have a chance in the NBA. But in Scariolo's case, it's, it's different. He's He's been there. Uh, his, his language is, is, is cool. He understands this uh, uh, American mentality. And uh, one of the main differences, as I said, he's not that old school European uh, head coach who wants to put the system on his team and on his players. We have some of uh, coaches like that. He just, he, he just relies on the personal uh, that he has and he changed a lot. Uh, I remember when I was, I was preparing, by the way, William, I'm, I'm really impressed by your research that you saw this interview I did with Sergio in Bologna. And I remember when I was preparing for this interview, I talked with former play, some of his ex-players and like two decades ago, Sergio was really strict. I remember that <laughs> he even uh, uh, didn't allow players to go to to breakfast, for instance, with flip flops. He always <laughs> wanted to, his players to, you know, stay classy. <laughs> sure, and sure, sure. I I think that he was. Uh, I'm not sure if he's even is he's doing this uh, uh, today. Probably not. But I think that he was even using the microphone during the practices. So. He's a bit different. He's really classy, but he changed. He uh, evolved during the time. And I think that uh, his also his Spanish national team experience with Gazol and Brothers and all these talents sure. helped him to change the mentality and to become more of a player's coach than a coach who is all about himself. So uh, I think that during the year, I think for every coach, uh, there it's very important quality to keep developing uh, keep adjusting to, to different basketball, different players, and he did it successfully. Not every coach can can adjust. Uh, a lot of coaches are complaining about the new generations 
about uh, new players, their approach, about TikTok, Instagram, whatever. But it feels like Scariolo is going with the flow and, and he recognizes the change. And that, that's what makes him interesting for the uh, NBA market. Yeah, I think when people would picture European coaches, I think they're all thinking of uh, Jelko Obradovic. I think that's... that's Who's really that's, cool. Yeah, he's cool actually too? cool. He's mellowed yeah, out? I mean, okay. American players really love him. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, he, he, he looks strict. He shouts a lot. That, he, his, yeah. his broken uh, Serbian English also sounds scary, you know? <laughs> but he's, he's yeah. really cool, cool okay. with the American players. They really love him because uh, although he sounds strict, He's always right, and he's also a player's coach. He's very supportive. Right. But there's, you know, in Europe, you have to have this image of a strict, bad coach, mm. and because maybe our coaches think that that's the way the player is going to listen to. So, yeah, it's right. one of the biggest cultural things, differences that we have compared to the Canada or United States. Yeah, I, I think in that sense, Sergio definitely sounds a little bit different, especially the way he comes across in interviews. Um, he sounds much more just, like, calm level and obviously that's not in the heat of battle right where you can get more tense but i mean that's like any coach like any coach in a, in a tight moment might be yelling at you especially when the arena is loud or whatever in a key timeout so no that that's that's great to hear and, and um yeah I, I think so the raptors had some other candidates um it seemed like jordy fernandez who i believe was an assistant um on sergio scariolo's staff for the spanish national team um was in consideration it seems like he hasn't been invited back for a second interview despite multiple varying reports um there's also darko you know Ryakovich, who um has been a longtime assistant coach in okc and um uh, and now memphis and phoenix before that um i mean i don't know i mean I'm, I, I suppose i'm just asking you because you, you i i see you as the the you know the master of all european news but <laughs> do you know anything about these guys any sort of intel before we before we sort of wrap up the segment? Uh, I, I'm not very familiar with Darko, but uh, for instance, with Jordi, I heard a lot of uh, great stuff. And uh, to me, there's this feeling, even among the NBA people, that it's just a matter of time when he mm. will get a head coach job. And he's doing a really great job. And I know that he's starting uh, to you know, get recognition, not only from the NBA, but from the international basketball. And I, I, I remember very well, like five years ago when... Uh, Lithuanian team Zalgiris did the coaching change. And by the way, Sharuna Sesikavichis was interviewed mm. by the Toronto Raptors. And when he left, right. uh, Jordi was kind of offered as one of the names because Zalgiris was looking for this, which is rare in Europe, for American type of coach. And Jordi, of course, had this both uh, experience in, in, in both sides of, of the ocean. Uh, but he was already offered. And it's, it's crazy to remember this fact because knowing how... Now, Jordi is recognized in the NBA community. So I think it's just a matter of time when he will become the head coach. And uh, and yeah, uh, he, he's really good. And I don't know how serious is that. I mean, this thing about Sharunas' cabbage was this year. I just know that he, he made a really great impression uh, to Masai Ojira mm -hmm. the last time they, they did this interview a few years ago. And Stardust Sharunas' cabbage is a bit different than Sergio Scoriolo. Uh, he's more of that that type of oh, old he'll school. Yell. Yeah, he, he yells, yells a lot, and he's mean. <laughs> yeah, he's mean. Uh, but in terms of X's and O's, and uh -huh. O's, I mean, he's uh, even though Scariol is amazing. I really believe that Charles is at the same level or on an even higher level. The question is, what kind of impact of impact it makes in the NBA, and maybe mm. some yeah. of the other qualities like you know 
personal management, uh, your your the way you represent yourself, uh, the way you can become a player's coach, uh, yell less. How much of these things uh, come into play? And I think that Scariolo has advantages on all the other components who are very important uh, coaching the NBA team, and especially coming from Europe. Yeah, unfortunately, that is um, that is definitely a very common thing in the NBA. You hear all about all the time. I remember when Nick was here. Um, Nick would always talk about how he looked at sort of the way he, the amount of times he would yell would be like a you know a revolver, you know, like the old school guns, and you only have like six bullets in them. And he's like, "This this all I have for the whole year. So if I fire a bullet now, I cannot just shoot every single day." So um, yeah, I, I I was always wondering how Yesikevich's um his his, his personality would have meshed here but it did seem like he you know he did leave a great impression on the front office I, I don't believe he's been as involved in the in the interviews this time around I think it's been more focused towards Sergey on stuff like that but uh mm-hmm. yeah um that will be a very interesting too I think it would be a great story in Lithuania for sure um okay yeah before I go I mean look I, I wanted to I wanted to leave on, t- on two quick subjects because I, I I know you got to leave in about five minutes um I think number one like are there sort of some European players generally, maybe like two or three that like NBA teams should be on the lookout for in terms of signing free agents um, from overseas? Because I, I I know when Brian Colangelo was here in Toronto, that was probably the thing he did the best was was get guys like Anthony Parker, who was an American, but was playing in Israel um, and he was doing really well. And um, guys like Arbajosa, um, Calderon, I believe, was actually signed before he got here. Um, but regardless, there, there was definitely a lot of talent to be to be found. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't be the, the problem with the European basketball that we have right now is that I think that we have uh, less, uh, I would say, smaller and smaller pool of NBA potential players, and especially who are ready now. Of course, we have a lot of prospects uh, coming uh, to the NBA every year, but uh, because of the challenges that we have in Europe, it feels that 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 we're losing that talent, and I would say NBA ready talent. Uh, I be- really believe I'm a big believer that 10, 20 years ago we had way more players who were NBA ready right now. Uh, as we mentioned, Garbajosa, Calderon, Anthony Parker, there were more uh, and talents, and maybe NBA also has changed. Uh, and you know, I think that the size matters more now, and usually those guys are picked by the NBA sooner. So. It's 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 really difficult uh, difficult uh, topic. But watching uh, the current pool of Euroleague players, I won't be I won't be very original. I mean, I really believe that Sasha Vazenkov of Olympiakos Piraeus has a good chance uh, to be a good role player on the NBA team because he's the off-ball master in in Europe, and probably that's what he should need to adjust to in the NBA and playing without ball. But he's so smart that he. He changes the game so much without uh, making dribble, and he's just great. There is Vasilya Mistic, a point guard from Serbia of Anadolu FS Istanbul. I, I don't see why he couldn't be the backup point guard uh, uh, in the NBA or who, why he couldn't play solid 18, 20 minutes per game to help the, the contender team to reach their goals. But the thing is that with Europe, as you mentioned, it's so it's such a confusing basketball continent with so many different leagues that even let's say on the third tier European competition competitions, there are guys who are who can play in the NBA. Right. Uh, for instance, uh, last year Sacramento signed Chima Moneke, mm-hmm. uh, who was uh, who barely made the second uh, French division team 
like few years ago. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of unrecognized talents uh, that are that fit NBA game better than European basketball. And sure. here they don't get enough recognition. They don't get opportunities that they can actually get in the NBA. One guy, one player from, from Germany who, who was signed by Phoenix Suns two years ago. I just uh, forgot his name, but he was also not even considered by the EuroLeague teams, mm-hmm. but somehow now he's, he's a good role player for, for Phoenix Suns or in, for instance, Jock Landale. Yeah. He was like, he was interesting player for the Euroleague teams. Some top uh, tire teams were considering him, but even here in Lithuania, there was some level of skepticism about him. And now we see him doing a yeah, really important jo- job in Phoenix. So this, this, you know, not just cultural difference, but the whole different, uh, different ball game that is played in the NBA in Europe uh, makes our job real hard to understand what is the NBA material or, material or not. Mm. But for sure, there are NBA-ready guys like Vasily Misic or Sasha Vizekov in Europe, but there are a lot of other hidden gems in Europe and some German-French teams that we are not aware of, but they might be interesting for, for, for the NBA clubs and they might be uh, important for the NBA clubs. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, Donatus, I'm just going to hold you for one minute really quickly. but um, No problem, yeah. Um, I, I know you guys talk about Wemby. On, on your show, um, the Our Bonus Podcast, which I, again, I highly recommend, especially if you're interested in following European basketball. Um, you know, it really does cover a lot of relevant topics. You guys talk about Wemby. Um, and I think everyone in, in, in over here now understands who Wemby is. Obviously, he's going to be the number one overall pick. Um, I, hmm. I was curious because the Raptors have been linked to uh, you know, Bilal Koulibaly. Um, his teammate. Um, I, I just was curious if you had any sort of interactions with him or any sort of observations watching him. Because I'm sure if you watch Wemby, you, you'll see Bilal as well. Yeah. Uh, I won't say anything new, uh, probably, because now he's finally, you know, uh, discovered. Mm-hmm. He finally got this recognition. Uh, but uh, I know a couple of people who already got an eye on him before the season, before all of this hype, and really believed in this uh, player. And suddenly we see the success and the the leap he made in the, all these NBA draft uh, projections. So his his journey is really good. Uh, there are a lot of believers in his game, and there were already some believers in his game uh, before. You know, it was cool to yeah, to yeah. recognize him. So, not much I'm going to say. What's not uh, what was not uh, told uh, before, but but of course, uh, as I said, there are a lot of undiscovered players that nobody could think of. The guy barely made the main team before mm-hmm. the season. So a lot of things can change uh, so quickly and it's the matter of opportunity the, that is given. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's the thing with everybody, right? Like a lot of talent in the world, a lot of talent in, in lots of different leagues, but it really comes down to the opportunity. Do you got the minutes? Do you got the chance? And I think in, in a way that's, that's Sergio too, right? You know, obviously he's had all the opportunities in Europe and internationally, um, but you know, he needs opportunity and, and if the Raptors will give it to him, um, both, you know, elevating him from the assistant to the head coaching spot. I mean, I wouldn't be too surprised. I know the front office is definitely very keen on, on what he's done and they've, he's left a really great impression, um, even back to when he was an assistant. So we'll see what happens, but, um, yeah, um, you know, Donatas, I, I really appreciate your time. Everybody go follow, uh, basket news, follow your, coverage uh, again i really recommend your podcast if you are if listeners are interested in uh european basketball even in the slightest so thanks for your time and and, and go enjoy um what are you covering tonight man 
Lithuanian League Finals. Jonas Valanciunas might be watching the third game of Jalgiris and and Rita's battle. So okay, okay. Which one was his team? Uh, Actually, what's funny that his team was Rita's, but he now he was often seen with uh, Jalgiris jersey during Jalgiris games. So it's Rita's fans. They're really mad about it. Yeah, I was gonna say because I I recognize Rita's just based on I think when the year he played overseas after the Raptors drafted him. So I'm uh, a little surprised with JV, but okay. Um, yeah, you you enjoy. Thanks for your time, and uh, to everyone else, uh, please continue to rate, review, subscribe to the Raptors Show. We'll have daily content, and uh, we'll keep covering this head coaching search. Thanks, William. You're doing a really good job. I'm I'm impressed by your research, and of course, thanks a lot for your kind words uh, for our websites uh, and, and my podcast. All right, anytime.